0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I am your host, Alan Waima. And I'm with a very special guest today. He is Vendad. And again, as we said before, I'm not going to try your last name. I'll let you do that part. <laughs> he's a software engineer and, uh, he's always giving out tips and tricks on Flutter in, uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. And, uh, yeah, let me just go ahead and let, let it over, uh, hand it over to you to kind of introduce yourself and, uh, help us to pronounce your last name. Go ahead. Hi, Alan. Uh, yes, uh, thanks for having me
1: on the show. Uh, yes, as you said, my name is Vandot, and my last name is Nahavandipur. You don't have to say the last name, of course. And uh, I'm, I'm just glad to be here, so take it away.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the reason that we brought you over here is because you have an interesting course going on, and I think it's pretty cool. But um, Thank you. I did want to kind of go a little bit over your, your background, right? Because it's, you're kind of like a world traveler now
1: yeah man i mean i didn't want to but it just happened um yeah i've been to a few countries i'm, pr- I'm sure you've also been to a few uh, but yeah i just didn't i i've uh, i've been around and i haven't really found a good place to settle until i went to england and then now sweden
0: so that's where i am right now sweden uh i heard really good things about over there and of course i just know Spotify's over there you got ericsson is over there I'm sure. Quite a few other co- other good uh, other companies. Yeah, it's very. I mean, here I was
1: kind of like uh, shocked how they're. It's very different from England, for instance. Like England, everyone's just like so paranoid. Information is just so private. If there's so much CCTV. Everyone just try to keep everything to themselves. It's so private. And here, you literally have these things called personal number attached. It's kind of like so- social security, but the personal number is is your birth date plus four digits. And this personal number is linked to everything. You get literally a bank identification that you log into all services with. And you can pay other people just using their like personal number. You can like, it's, it's so open and using the personal number, like you can actually, their websites, you can find people's addresses, how old they are, when was their birthday name, who they live with, everything. It's just so open. So uh, it's very technologically advanced, but it has its own. negatives (laughs) negatives <laughs> i would say
0: especially so open it seems a little bit weird to have so much private information open i don't know oh yeah feel- oh
1: yeah i mean uh, uh a friend of mine i just i don't want to name he um he had problem with the with the police he was arrested once and that information unfortunately is public so recruiters search his name and find directly the first website that pops up is this popular swedish website that pops up that has all your details plus all your, like, if you've had problem with the police, they literally name it. They say this person was arrested this date because of this. So, so he's had a lot of problem finding jobs just because it was a small issue he had, you know, and he wasn't like in jail or anything. But so yeah, it's, it's got, <laughs> it's got some may as well. Definitely, but it's really technologically
0: advanced. That's, that's what I want to say, basically. So I mean, getting people's background about their criminal history is not really difficult to do but it seems a little bit scary that i mean you're, you're making it seem like it's really really easy but at the same time you could just google search somebody's name and i think it's quite common at least in the u.s to have like a police blotter where it's like we arrested this guy at this uh address oh. and he was doing this thing uh i just remember reading that because you know of course you want to at least to me i uh, just being very direct and straight like i always like to see people's misery and just oh what was this guy doing oh okay oh that's interesting <laughs> And also, you know, you might see some people that, you know, it just happens. Can you ask for that information to be deleted in the US? I suppose you can. But I mean, like if it's in a newspaper, that's hard to get rid of, right? Because you scan it and then they want that stuff for the archives. Um, I mean, you can get your record expunged and there's weird, like, I mean, we had the last guest I believe we had on was uh, Randall Schwartz, who has a background. Have you heard of Randall Schwartz before? Yeah, he's a, he's a Flutter developer as well, right? Yes, uh, but he, yeah. he has uh, his background is that he, um, I'm doing my best to try to kind of summarize it, but he managed to run this password cracking app just to kind of check to see if people's passwords were kind of safe enough. Mm-hmm. And he managed to decode a couple of people's passwords because they use very easy ones. I don't know, maybe one, two, three, four, who knows. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got in trouble for that. And because the definition in the law is something like, you know, it's very, very open, right? Uh, when you have certain crimes, and uh it just so happens that he managed to fit the bill of like hacking or something like that oh. or accessing computer resources like without permission and uh because of that reason he he got uh in trouble, he got a record um mm-hmm. and also the definition of you know do you have a record is different right because in the u s like once you have it expunged or taken away from your record, you can say you'd never been convicted of a crime. But, uh, he mentioned in the podcast that he cannot go to Australia because the definition of it, of do you have a record means ever, even if it got taken off your record, you know, even if you got it removed legally. Yeah. It's so have to say bad, that.
1: man. That is that, that I don't agree with that at all. It's just so weird. I mean, I can see like the struggle, like people can make mistakes. We're all people, people can make mistakes, but they shouldn't like that shouldn't define their lives going forward, like, especially if it's like a minor incident. I feel like that person should be able to like be able to redeem themselves kind of instead of having to live their whole life just like oh I can't travel now just because I did something which I didn't even know was illegal so that is so strange um hopefully there'll be some reforms in the laws so people can redeem themselves
0: I don't know I mean I think there's always like a big um you know you you want to kind of protect your people like there's always this kind of fear that oh foreigners they may bring I mean, it's kind of this, the fear with when Donald Trump was in office was all these foreigners are coming in. They're not good people. They're, they're, they're coming in with bad records, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Right. So you're going to get this kind of issue. Uh, but anyways, we're drifting way off like topic. Right. So well, um, yeah. <laughs> in any, in, in, in any case, right. Uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Like, it, and also I think it's kind of interesting about the, the, um, the whole thing about data, right? Because, uh, I think sweden is part of the eu yes yeah but they also have yeah. GD, gdpr is that what it's called oh, yeah. so yeah. that's why it, are they actually complying i'm just i'm just confused about that part
1: um i mean i i haven't really understood gdpr at like the detail level uh from what i understood it's like it wasn't it up to the member states to define exactly how they want to implement gdpr but I mean, since they're part of EU and EU has adopted GDPR, I think they fall into the umbrella of like, yeah, services that are, that are providing their services. Like if if it's a US based service and wants to like have uh, Sweden based customers, then they need to by definition conform to GDPR. That's what I've understood, at least. I don't think that they can just pick and choose and say, yeah, well, Sweden hasn't complied with this. So we open up our data to, so. Um, but yeah, they, they're, I think complying with GDPR. So it's, um, it's still a big problem here in Sweden because sometimes you want to go to some news websites and like they're US based and they just won't have enough resources to comply with GDPR rules. So they're just like, this content isn't available in your region. So, um, it is, it's been, it's been a pain, I would say, for us customers to, uh, I mean, I haven't had any, like, uh, benefit personally of GDPR. The only thing that's happened for me is just I have to check a lot of checkboxes when I enter websites. That's it, so.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, for me, uh, I, I think the biggest thing for me is I just don't want to be bothered with, like, spam and all this kind of crap. I feel like I always yep. get some new email from something. Like, I have a bunch of emails, but emails I used to use a long time ago, they just get filled, like, with hundreds of spam emails every single day, Drive yeah. me nuts.
1: I mean, I haven't seen some, I'm using Gmail at the moment and that filters out a lot of spam. But recently some people have and have realized that they can go to Google Sheets and tag your email in a Google Sheet and then write their spam message in a Google Sheet. And then Google, by definition, it sends an email to you and say, you've been tagged in this. So they're using Google against Google. So they can't filter, like they can. they
0: can't mark themselves as spam. Oh, I've gotten Google emails marked as spam. I don't know what happened. Really? I, yeah, I've looked at it. And I'm like, why the hell is this thing in spam? <laughs> yeah, like, um... <laughs> I don't remember what, though. It might have been, like, for, like, the Google Workspace for my company or something like that. I can't oh, remember okay. Now. I see. But, yeah, I've, man, I've seen too much weird as we were talking before the show, as you can see, I've seen some really weird stuff that, uh, I don't, I don't know. I just kind of look at it, shrug my shoulders, and kind of, like, correct what I have to and move on. sometimes better not to ask questions you're just going to confuse Mm -hmm. yourself yeah it's become a part of life now that you so but uh yeah i mean let's kind of get back to so like you you kind of you you were born in iran or you were born in another born in
1: iran born and raised in iran yeah exactly until i was about 21 i think so uh, i stayed there so and then i left the country What what made you decide to leave am i your teenager you know how it is (laughs) You're a teenager, you have so many ideas. You're just like, yeah, you want to kind of like get to like-minded people. Um, I remember I, I love to like do programming with assembly and writing operating systems and stuff. And there was no job for that thing around. Like at least there wasn't any, there weren't any. So I remember I talked to my like uh, uni um, uh, professors and I was like, yeah, I, I want to find a job. And they were just like, yeah, you can't. It's just, if you want to find a job here, you have to do C- uh, like SQL, that's what you can find jobs with, like data stuff, website stuff. If that's what you want to do, you have to go somewhere else. So I was like, okay, I'll go somewhere else maybe. So, uh, that was, that was the reason because I couldn't really like fit in so well. Uh, growing up, I basically want to make money, have my own life and this with my hobbies, it wasn't possible.
0: So that's the reason I left basically. So what, what were your choices? Would you, did you decide to go finally? Like what kind of were you debating about? Um, well, you know, I actually
1: got accepted at the University of Wisconsin. Um, I don't remember which one. Is that UW-Madison? Was it Madison? I mean, I still have the emails. I have to kind of like check them. Um, I don't remember because it was so many years ago. It was like a decade ago. Um, but I got, I mean, I can see some emails right now, but I have to go through them to exactly know which one it was. Um, but I remember I got, the thing was I got like a conditional letter of, uh, acceptance. And the condition was that I had to pay all the uh, tuition fees up front. And then, as uh, as an Iranian teenager having literally no ties to Iran that binds you to the country, and like kind of making sure that you're going to come back, I went to the US embassy, and there is no US embassy in Iran. There's a US embassy in Dubai, so I went to Dubai, and the woman was like, "Dude, you're not gonna come back." And I was like, no, no, I'm, I promise you, I'm gonna come back. She was like, no, gonna come back. So I, uh, they didn't, they didn't like that. But the uh, but the British embassy was fine. The British embassy was like, yeah, sure, go study in England, and yeah, if you don't want to come back. So uh, so I went to the UK basically because it was just easier to to do that at that time.
0: No, that's interesting. I'm, I'm surprised because at least when I think about UK, I think they, they're kind of close-minded, at least recently, like with the whole Brexit idea.
1: Oh, now it's completely different.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I would say also the, U,
1: the UK, they sent me an unconditional letter of acceptance literally three days after I submitted my application. I sent my application with DHL and I had the results in my hand three days later. And they really were after the tuition fees because at that point in time, uh, every year a, a, British person studying at the university had to pay 3000 pounds per year for the tuition fees and a foreign student had to pay 9000 pounds. So it was a huge difference. Uh, and so they got bills think, to pay basically. Yeah. That's it. They were basically there. I mean, there were so many people from, uh, China, uh, and Asia generally in the uh, University of Sussex, for instance, because they needed money. So I would say. Um, maybe ha- part of part of the acceptance stuff and and the process being easy was because of that I, I think can't be sure but I think at least well how do you finance something like that if you're like you said you really didn't have much oh man I was I was like moving I was a mover I was working at hotels and stuff like doing literally moving furniture from a hotel to a new like a storage place and stuff so very heavy physical stuff just to make some money it was It wasn't easy, but uh that's what I mean you're young and yeah you have nothing to lose so I uh, hard uh, so, so, yeah. yeah. jobs hustling right yeah man it was it was really tough, it was really, really tough. Um, I was eating bread like I remember a whole week I was just eating bread, like nothing water and bread <laughs> so, but you don't think about it now it's funny, but back then, I mean it was the only way you could
0: live, so uh, so yeah. It was a struggle. Okay, uh, that's that's pretty cool though. Like, okay, so so when you're a student in in UK, you can still work because sometimes they have these things where, it's like, you can you can study but you cannot work. You know, they have a lot of rules. Or were you yeah. under the table? No, I mean, I'm under the table for sure because
1: I mean, I was doing I wasn't doing like work that uh, you basically get officially paid. This was just like you working physical work and then they pay you in cash. It's like here you go. So. And the weird thing is that like after even after you become like a, a legit person that you can't officially work, you, you've you been paying all your uh, uh, like taxes and etc. But in your visa, it still states that you can't rely on public funds. And that means that you have to pay for all your like hospital visits. There's no tax back for you, even if you're just paying your taxes. It's really strange, man. It's a strange land, but uh, I'm thankful that I got the ability to be there because I was like the start of my journey. So I'm very thankful.
0: But what about healthcare though? Because that's, I always see no, that people yeah. like they travel to UK and then they get hurt, but then they can still collect on the healthcare.
1: Oh, I mean, at least that wasn't the case for me. I think it okay. depends kind of like where you're from because in my visa, it literally stated no, um, something like with the effects of no relying
0: on public funds, something like that. I thought something like don't resuscitate. <laughs> <Something> like that. <laughs> Oh man, that's, I hope
1: not. <laughs> that's a good one.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I just remember my mom kind of telling me, "Hey, don't don't be an organ donor on your ID because the ambulance driver oh. will take a look at your ID and if it says you're an organ donor, then they're not going to like save you or something." I'm like, "That just sounds really? ridiculous." This that's what they say, but exactly. work. Kind of, oh, okay. You're let's say you're bleeding to death. You think the ambulance driver is going to really take his time to check your wallet? Like, you could be dead I in I don't think so. situation. <laughs>
1: that's actually something i've been wondering a little bit like um, being an organ donor so it's, i think it's a noble thing to do if you can actually live with it basically so it's well i cool. mean
0: if you're an organ donor that's usually when you when you pass away right Are we talk about living yeah. and giving up an organ but but that's the thing like i usually
1: think about family when i'm gone so it's kind of like I, I need to then take care of their feelings as well like because then it feels like when i'm gone my family is going to be in charge of me you know what i mean or the people who remain after you feels like then I belong to them, but maybe that's the wrong way of thinking about it Um, because you go to the ground anyways, I think.
0: Well, it depends, right? Like over here, you're not allowed to go to the ground anymore. So I'm in Hong Kong and like there's really no space. So you have to be burned and then they want you to, to put, to put yourself into an urn and then they put you into like a, a little cubby. But that, cubbies that little like cupboard spot is like yeah. um uh, i don't know six thousand u.s dollar or something like that yeah what it, i think that's i think that's on the low end actually it depends you can get much higher fee there's, there's no and space over here that? that's you over know? over the
1: ground like literally it's in yeah so
0: they, can, they cannot put you into the ground anymore basically so you have to be burned and then you i don't think you're allowed to keep the ashes at home if i remember correctly but that's the same in sweden yeah and so, they have to put you into some kind of like a Taoist, uh, Taoist um, area. And uh, it's yeah. Yeah, a little cubby. It's like, I don't know how many inches is that, like six by six, let's just say. Wow. So, okay. it's like nothing. Wow. It, it is a little bit similar here as well. Yeah.
1: But then they, uh, here, they're, they're, you're allowed to be put in the ground. I
0: think, so. I think they, had, don't they also have that, that thing in Sweden where you can like become a seed or something and then you can get planted. Or is that somewhere else? Really? I didn't know about that. Yeah. What's like a tube to? Like a capsule or something. It's like they, they, they burn you and then like you turn into like a, a capsule. And then like inside is a seed and then like you can plant it. And then like they, it uses like some of your body, right? Oh. Some of your ashes to like nourish the plant. It's pretty cool.
1: I didn't know that existed. That's pretty nice. Wow. So many, so many ways to die.
0: So- <laughs> So many ways to, to live on, not to die, right? (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) All right. So, so you're in, you're in UK, right? You're studying. Um, like, did you know that you wanted to go to stay in programming or were you just kind of less studying anything or kind of, I'm just kind of curious about your, your background. Yeah. Well,
1: um, I mean, in Iran, I was studying e-commerce. So I was, um, I continue with that. So I sent my uh, like diploma to the University of Sussex and they accepted it. So they were like, yeah, this is the equivalent of undergraduate studies here. So you can do postgraduates here. So I continue with that uh, track of doing e-commerce. And then, so yeah, I mean, I've been so interested in software development for so long, even before like all my studies. So it just felt like a natural path just to continue with that. I didn't know anything else. So that's the only thing. I, I... so I got a lot of stuff at school. So, uh, I couldn't focus so well at school. I just found like history and stuff so boring. Uh, mathematics, I was okay at physics. No, not so much. So I didn't excel at school at pretty much anything. Uh, but when it was software development, like when it was computer class, I was just like, yeah, this is the stuff. So just like typical teenager. So, uh, then i was just like yeah that's the only thing i'm good at so i'll just continue with it basically so that's how it uh, continued so you graduated with a computer
0: science degree or computer engineering or something
1: yeah it was a master of science uh master of science uh with honors um uh, for e-commerce something like that it was called i think the title um so yeah, yeah. and then and, and you get a master's master of science uh at least i got that in one year you can you can prolong it if you want to but Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just one year if you can study full-time basically in in England, so.
0: Okay, so you got your degree and then like, what was your next step after that? Was it just bouncing or are you just going to hang around in UK for a few years and trying to work? Uh,
1: Well, I mean, I didn't know, to be honest. I I didn't know what was going to happen. All I was just, I think uh, it was literally just um, continuing. It was like literally living, I had no plans. I was just like, yeah, let's see what happens kind of thing. So, uh, but it turned out the way it turned out, but I hadn't planned it, so to say. Um, so I continued, uh, I mean, after studies, I was just like, yeah, I I need to really make some money. And so I worked and then I just continued working. <laughs> so that's, that is continued and... uh I think at the end, I kind of wanted to get like my uh, citizenship as well, because I've lived in England for like seven years. So I thought, yeah, it'd be good to get the citizenship as well. Um, but then right before getting the citizenship,
0: I moved to Sweden. So that was an all you could say. <laughs> okay. So well, why Sweden, though, out of all places? Well, I,
1: uh, I met my partner actually there. So, um, I, not, not, not in Sweden. She's from Sweden and, uh, we met, uh, in England and we worked at the same company. And, um, she was like, yeah, it would be great to go back to Sweden. I want to be closer to my roots. And I was just like, yeah, well, England isn't really my roots. So I have no uh, problem moving to another country. So I tagged along basically. So I tagged along, came here. And learned the language and kind of got comfortable, to be honest with you. Like, uh, in the beginning, it's really difficult because in Sweden, it's not like in uh, many other countries because in England, like if you can speak English, you can really live well. In Sweden, if you can speak English, you can live, but you can't live so well, I would say, because it's just like you get left out of a lot. You have to speak the language. Like at work, you will see that everyone's talking Swedish and you get left out a lot. So I was like the only one speaking English, sitting at my desk and everyone else was having a chat around me in Swedish. So uh,
0: uh, it's it's really different. So about learning Swedish, I mean, it must be not that difficult compared to, well, I mean, because you're in the environment, right? So that definitely helps a lot. Yeah, man, it helps a lot. Definitely. That's, that's the way to do it. I mean, you
1: have to surround yourself with the people. Cause I have some friends who've lived here longer than me, but they haven't had like so much influence and they, I don't want to say they struggle, but they sound still like they're speaking Swedish in an English accent and vocabulary doesn't develop maybe as much. So it is, it is tougher. I would say if you're, if you surround yourself only with like English speaking or Iranian speaking people. So it's like a privilege to be able to live with like a, someone who speaks the uh, the language, I would say, uh,
0: natively. So now do you talk to your partner all the time in Swedish or are you, are you use both English and Swedish, I'm guessing?
1: I mean, we use English when we don't want the kids to understand. But now they're getting so so much older that they're like understanding some keywords in English. So we can't talk about like ice cream anymore behind their back because they know... <laughs> words so yeah but we speak only in swedish uh, unless we have to speak english so that the kids don't (laughs)
0: understand that's that's interesting i I thought you were going to be a nice cool dad but apparently you like to keep secrets about ice cream (laughs) i mean the thing
1: is like at home i actually i'm trying to be the cool dad because i try not to make so many decisions i i understood early on in the process that the more decisions you make the less popular you are because most decisions that have to do something with the kids are quite tough decisions. Like, do we go out today? Do we eat out today? Can I have these clothes instead of those? So I'm just like, yeah, let mom decide. So I'm trying to disconnect myself as much
0: from the boring stuff as possible. So it's always ask your mother all the time, right?
1: <laughs> kind of. Yeah, unless it's like a very fun decision. So <laughs> no, I'm just half kidding, but uh, that's, that's like the gist of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I hear all the time, is that like guys always get to be, the, the fathers always get to have the, um, what do you call it, they always get to have all the fun questions or something like that. So it's always, you know, ask them and. That's you know, cool. That's cool that we've cracked that at least. That's good. Yeah. So you're not like doing anything one? revolutionary in this case, but at least, you, no. at least you're aware of it. But usually it's it's innate. You just kind of say, it, ask your mother, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. The thing is
1: like, I feel like as 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 fathers, it's just, we're not bothered by so many things. It's just like so much easier to sometimes say, yeah, if you want to go out with these clothes, go for it. I'm not so bothered by like what people think of your clothes. It's up to you, I feel like, you know, so I don't even want to make that decision. But maybe like the, my partner would like to actually say, oh, Ma, but you should look good when you go or you should look blah, blah. So, but it's just an example. So, um, but yeah, it's easier not to have to make too many decisions. Also.
0: It's just different priorities. Like, uh Yeah, true. I just remember like when I was with my, my dad, my dad used to be, um, do upholstery and he'd just drive from house to house all the day, all day. So it's like, you know, working eight hour days, but then he would be six hours just driving, right? Or you just arrive at somebody's house, take a look for 15 minutes and you know what the issue is, wrap a report, submit it. You got to wait for parts, right? To fix it. And so this is my mom. would we'll just keep calling him all the time. Every few minutes, she would call him, you know, what do you want for dinner? And then next one would be, you know what your daughter just did? And. Uh, I'm very upset about something and it's just like, okay. And so uh, uh, I remember I called my dad a couple of years ago to wish him happy birthday. My mom picked up the phone. She said, uh, you know, so, hey, how's it going? Yeah, I'm just calling dad for his birthday wish him happy birthday. Uh, can you give him the phone? She said, uh, no, actually, I can't. I said, what do you, what do you mean he can't? She said, I asked your father, what does he want for his birthday? And he replied, quote, leave me the hell alone, <laughs> end quote. And so for twenty four hours, she couldn't be in the same room with him. Like he had to be alone. Like so, his his whole day was just like, you know, he would, he would because his his computer's in the basement, right? So he would just play on his computer. My mom would make you know lunch or, or dinner, and then she would I don't know how she would, somehow she would have to notify him. She had to leave the kitchen, and he would come up, you know, when she's not there, grab his food, go back down his computer or, or watch TV or whatever. But. Like I said, riding with my dad when, <laughs> I, when he was working that time, like I can understand, like it's just you don't have a minute to yourself, right? True, yeah. So, I mean, you have, a couple of, you have time. kids, right? So what I heard yeah. oh, from every single married guy is that when you have kids, the only time you have time to yourself is like when you're in the bathroom or when you're at work. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just true. getting bothered all the time. Yeah, and
1: uh, I mean, I have to say that's also, uh, that's mostly true when they're very small as well. Like when they're up to about three, four years old, we saw a huge change as soon as they turned like three and a half kind of. They got more independent. It was in the beginning, it was like, leave me the hell on. But now I I actually have to go and ask them if I can be with them to play together. Because they found their own games and etc. And now I'm like outsider. So I have to ask for permission. So it, it shifts quite a lot. Like when it's too much attention on you, you don't want to be there. But when it's no attention, you kind of gravitate back towards that mass kind of. so. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting part of the life, I would say. It's uh, to have kids test your limits quite a lot. Uh,
0: I get tested every day. I need a break from being tested. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so you grew up in Iran. You moved to UK. You, you started off your, your, schooling over there. You started working. You met somebody. You guys decided to go to Sweden. Uh, now you've been in Sweden for, for how long now? since 2014 um so it's oh wow it's been a long time so
1: yeah it's been quite a few years i would say
0: okay uh, but actually we've been talking so much kind of stuff like i'm just kind of curious about your background in programming like what kind of like software engineering jobs have you been doing like what did you do in in uk what did you do what are you doing now in sweden
1: i did uh i mean when i started working in in the uk when i got the permission to work in the uk i i was i literally was a software developer so i just went to a company i was like yeah i can do whatever you guys want, and uh, started with html css flash and ActionScript. so we're like doing websites and, and i uh, and then after that the company kind of uh they they literally one day brought in a mac to the office and they were like we have to we have to do something with this because we were also developing some games like with ActionScript and flash so um and they were like, dude, you have to learn how to work with this Macintosh. I was like, I have no clue. I've, I'm, I've always been a Windows user. I don't even know Objective-C. Uh, I know some C++, but not fully so. But then they got a consultant in, and he was a very, very seasoned Mac OS developer for many years. So he was so confident with Objective-C. And so I was lucky there as well to learn from him. Um And he taught me a lot. I was just just so naive. I didn't know really what I was doing, but uh, he taught me quite a lot. So it started with that pretty much Objective-C, and I kept doing iOS development, and then Swift came in. And yeah, on the sides, I've been like tinkering quite a lot with other things as well. Um, Like I do development with Django, Python, Node, um, TypeScript now, Rust, all that. I just love programming. That's why I pick up like all these. But um, uh, my main line nowadays is like iOS development, Flutter and Django. And I have lots a lot of stuff on the side.
0: When you're doing stuff with, with, um, with the Mac, right? You're specifically only developing stuff on the Mac, right? Because this is quite some time ago, way before iPhone. I mean, this, this is the thing.
1: When they bought that Macintosh, uh, I remember it was 2000, it was end of two, no, it was the beginning of 2008. So, uh, it was, it, it was some SDK available, but I remember like the iPhones that we had, it was kind of like jailbroken. And instead of showing an Apple logo, it was showing a a pineapple. So, um, so it was very, very early days and it was, yeah, it was a broken SDK
0: basically, you could say. Okay. Okay. So that's pretty interesting. So how, how did you enjoy, like I've done objective C like many years ago, maybe just a few years after you started working on it. Like it's definitely interesting. Like I kind of enjoy the, the bracket syntax and it's just refreshing and I don't know, just, just different.
1: It is really different. It was one of those things. I mean, if, I felt like it was like the Stockholm syndrome kind of thing, like in the beginning you hate it, but the more you get used to it, you're just like, wow, this is amazing. So I felt like that, like until Swift came and I was like, Jesus, what were we doing with Objective-C? It was fun. But like, as soon as you get something better, you're like, oh my God, what was that?
0: <laughs> but it was, it was really different, as you say, really different. Yeah. But doing Swift and then like learning Dart with the, um, the no safety, like it's about the same, right? It's very similar. Syntax. Yeah. True. Yeah. That's right. Actually. With the optionals
1: or whatever. Yeah. Glad that they accept that now, that they support that now. But in the
0: beginning, it was quite tough. <laughs> you mean when you're writing Dart or when you're learning this new type of syntax? Yeah, with Dart, I would say, it, until they supported uh, optionals.
1: Because before that, it wasn't there were no optionals. I and mean, then they introduced uh, null safety and et cetera. So um, it was like a step down, I would say, from Swift into Dart. And then now back up again, kind of. Uh, and I, I mean, all these languages are confusing me now these days because like I go in Swift and I write null and my colleagues are like, dude, you've been doing Swift for so long. Why do you write null? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. What is it? Nil. It's here is nil because you go to Python is none in JavaScript. You have undefined. It's just like we can't agree on a on like a language, like the bases of our language. They're all so different. So, but anyways, that's a different thing to talk about. <laughs>
0: Yeah, this, and also there's different ways of checking, right? Usually it's double equals null, but then like, in yeah, Python, it should be is none. Yeah, I don't know. Man, don't get me started. Yeah.
1: I don't get it. I get really confused by all these basic things as, as soon as you work with so many
0: different languages. It, it, it gets confusing. So yeah. Yeah. But the nice part is once you start to learn those things and you can look at code and you're like, wait a minute. For, like for once, I looked at this piece of Python. Uh, at, at a previous job and I was like looks like some Java developer wrote this Python code it's super weird I, don't know, I just had this really? weird like feeling and I looked to my left and I asked my manager who was big into Java I said did you write this? he's like yeah 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 I did how did you know? I'm like I just, just had a feeling <laughs> <laughs> that's right
1: that's the that's yeah that's important to keep the syntax kind of native yeah I agree Get the it's essence of fantastic. everything how, how do you yeah. feel
0: about rust actually because i mean learning objective c and i'm sure you did c before or something similar and yeah. then you have swift like getting into rust like how do you feel about that
1: i mean um rust is kind of like uh the the thought fa- like it's like the father of swift isn't it like, like the people who were at least one key person was behind rust actually went to later develop swift so it's swift is kind of like uh feels like an evolution of Rust. Rust is like a for me it feels like more pure version of Swift. It's like more low level I would say. So um it's I would say after TypeScript is like the prettiest typing interface I've ever seen. It's so clean and nice. Wait, TypeScript is, is so clean and nice or Rust is? I would say type TypeScript
0: is like the funnest type system I've ever worked. It's just so cool. It's so cool and so anybody starts putting any and everything and it's not, not that nice anymore, right?
1: <laughs> Probably not. It can get really confusing. But like the ability for you to, as a programmer, to define that a function doesn't just return an integer, but it actually either returns one or two. It's amazing. Like, I don't know any other language that can say this function returns either this string or that
0: string. You know, it's, it's really cool. Uh, the way they think about it. I think Erlang can do something similar. Really? With a dial- but it's a dialyzer and it's not it's still a dynamic language, right? But I think you can say oh, I see. that. But um, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, even in oh, Russian you cannot really say good. that. You cannot give exact values, right? You can only give the types. Yeah
1: you can give the types. Yeah. You can have type aliases and stuff, but you can't constrain them to a specific value. So
0: pretty really nice, yeah. I wasn't aware of that. I just I don't know. I've I've heard I think it's about 70% of people I talk with give nothing but badness about TypeScript. Like they, they, really? they think it's it's kinda of like okay, it's it's like when you have to take your medicine, right? The pill it's still a pill, but the pill is smaller. I can still take it, but <laughs> I'd rather not. Like that's that's like the feeling I get when people talk about it. It's like seventy percent of people say that, 30% say they love it. I
1: see. Oh, that's so interesting. I think I'm mainly, uh, because I, I love different languages, I'm mainly like, blown away by what it can do. So I may, I'm too busy thinking about the positives. So there's definitely negatives that I try not to think about.
0: I think the problem is that you're in Europe where things are just a little bit nicer than over here. So you have a genuinely happier uh, living situation. But
1: seriously, like with learning, I feel like uh, I've learned that now. That when I want to learn something, I, I don't at all think about the negativities. Like I literally go in a hundred percent thinking that this is the best thing. Because before I had this kind of like uh, perspective that, oh, what the hell is this? And why should I do this? And the more I was asking these questions, the less I liked the thing I was learning. So it was putting me off. But now I'm just like, this is the best thing ever happening to me and when you go with that mentality you really embrace the thing for what it is and you don't compare it with lots of other things and it feels like really refreshing for me at least and this is just something that may work for me but not for everyone else i'm not giving a suggestion but for me at least i know that the less i think about the negative stuff the faster i learn the thing
0: okay that's it's a healthy way of doing it. Like for me, <laughs> what I usually do is I don't come in saying, well, I do actually end up saying, I like, oh, what the hell, why is this like this? But at the same time, I try to look into why is it like this and try to get the history and get an understanding and play with it a little bit more. Then yeah. you start to understand, oh, it's because, you know, whatever. Because some things are just style, right? Yeah. Like you can, you know, there's some DSL on top, I think. Because uh, you look at, and also if you look at the history of some languages like Perl, Perl is done by a guy who's a linguist, so you can see it's is much more like when you're writing English, the way the oh. Perl is like. And Ruby is based off of Perl, so that's why a lot of DSLs written in Ruby because it's just you can just basically write out English, but there's certain tweaks here and there, and you have a very nice DSL. Oh, that's if you look really at cool. To Python know. is like, I don't know why the hell anybody says it's the most beautiful language. It's one of the most ugliest things I've ever seen. Like you, you done Python right? <laughs> like you know those those double <laughs> underscore methods you have to write right. Oh man, I love Python. It's so good. It's just like... I don't... I, I'm sorry. You. <laughs> this one, I I can't. Like, um, you know how you have to write... Like, if you wanted to implement the len, the len mm-hmm. function, you have to do, implement the magic uh, method of double underscore len. Oh, I think I've done it very early on. Yeah, I remember something about that. Yeah, so, like, whenever you want to override these magic methods, you have to... Whenever you want to implement some things like len... Um, maybe absolute value. I don't know. There's a bunch of these methods like that. You have to right. implement this magic method. They call them dunder methods, double underscore.
1: Yes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, but here's the thing is, you know how many times I've seen people actually do like that object dot underscore, double underscore, len double underscore instead of using the len. It's like too many oh, times. Really? Yeah. Because you can oh, still no, call that's it. right. Like, yeah, yeah. I know. It's Well, no, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's go back to what you're thinking is right. This is the most beautiful thing no, in the world. That's
1: the thing. Like, because you could do stuff like that also with JavaScript. Like, you could do crazy stuff. And I think that's like what TypeScript is trying to put the stuff to. So they're trying to clean it up. And that's just quite an interesting way of thinking about languages. Like a language in itself can be crappy, but the presentation of that thing on top could actually make it really good. And that's what I feel TypeScript is doing to JavaScript but Python doesn't have something like
0: that. <laughs> so maybe we need TypeScript on top of Python. I don't know. I'm pretty happy with Dart. Like we have one of the creators of Dart come on here and he was kind of explaining like, what was the purpose of Dart, right? It was kind of like to stop what you said, right? Stop this kind of like meta programming stuff so that right. your code could just compile and run faster. Right. Um So like, yeah, I mean, I'd rather just stick to Dart. But actually, I don't see anybody using Dart to write Node.js programs. Am I wrong or no? Is there anybody actually doing that?
1: I haven't heard. No. I know there are some back I mean, I haven't really drilled down into back-end development really with Dart. I know there are some frameworks for it. But I haven't heard anyone doing anything like interaction with Dart and Node. I don't even know if that's possible.
0: So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I would like to take a try. It's interesting, bit. though. Well, yeah. once, once I recover then maybe I'll give it a try. But What's happened?
1: Maybe that's it. I don't know if you want to explain.
0: What happened to my hand? Yeah. Yeah, I I, uh, pushed it through a piece of glass on accident, obviously. Oh. And I cut basically um, three fingers, the tendons. So my index finger is about 20% cut. My middle finger is completely severed, the the tendon, right? Not the finger itself. And then my ring finger was about 80% cut. And I also cut the digital nerve too. So like I can't feel like on certain parts of my fingers now but uh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It happens. So it'll, it'll be better, but it's, 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 uh, it's been fun. Now my left hand's getting stronger and stronger. So maybe I'll be ambidextrous after this. I don't know. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sucks, man. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. And I I was actually pretty busy learning some more Rust stuff, but I had to put it down because it's hard for me to learn Rust if I can't even type very well. Oh man. Yeah. I understand that. I hope you get better soon. That humbled you very quickly. <laughs> you were so happy before. No, now I feel bad for bringing down your mood. No, no, no. I
1: mean, I, I, I'm i putting myself in your position. Like if, if you're like a guy, yeah, I'm, imagine like you were like me, like to sit in front of a computer and not having a right hand, that, that's, that's a huge
0: problem. So hope you recover soon. It should be six weeks till I can, till it should be healed. And then I still need to go through therapy. So let's see. I think, I oh, think right. maybe six to nine weeks or something. I don't know. Let's see. Wow. Yeah. So okay. but, yeah, uh, let's not end this on a sad note, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> so don't worry about it. Like I'm taking time to learn more theories now, right? So don't, I mean, the way I look at it is if I can't type then I'm going to try something else. So right now I'm, but he's studying other things. So and I'm not losing time. Good. Um, That's really good to hear. Yeah. So, uh, what, what was I, okay. So what are you actually doing? So nowadays it sounds like you said you're still doing like basically everything in terms of like different types of development. You're doing uh, iOS apps still. You're doing Flutter. Yeah. You're doing, uh, Python stuff with, uh, Django. It sounds like in Flask. Django. Django only. Okay. Yeah. Man, I really hate Django a lot. <laughs>
1: sorry. Really?
0: Why? Why? What's the haze? I don't, maybe, don't get it. Yeah, I'm sorry, but <laughs> maybe it's just the code I've been given. Like, it's just oh, not so no. clear. Like the, I, I, don't really um, like, yeah. I don't like the URLs file. Like, I don't like the, the, the dividing up of everything like that. Right. I I understand it's very modular, but at the same time, like I just feel, I don't know. I just don't, just don't like it. Maybe it's the only thing I know that I said the look of that thing. Yeah, it's uh, it
1: has its. I mean, uh, I feel like Django is really magic, and that's That's what I also don't
0: uh, like too. It's a little bit too much magic for me. Yeah,
1: because it's following a path. It's it's following a pattern, Mm -hmm. and, and it's not just one pattern. It's a lot. So you have to kind of like drill down sometimes into their own source code to understand how like a template view works or how a create view works, how models are connected to each other. So ha- if you have the time to put into that and you learn it, 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 then you get the Stockholm syndrome and you love it. But if you kind of go and drill down and like, oh man, I don't have time for this, <laughs> then now nah, man, it's going to be really difficult. So that's I think that's why maybe a lot of people go to Flask then because it's just, yeah. Maybe uh, faster to start with, but I haven't tried uh, Flask myself, so I can't say anything about
0: it. Yeah, Flask is really straightforward, I think it's it's pretty clear, but they do make heavy use of decorators, right? So decorators is something um, that they're they're nice, but you have to get used to them. I mean, I I have written a decorator once, and it's like to do like a retry mechanism for databases, like when I run to write right. something to a database. So that that worked out mm-hmm. pretty well. But yeah, Python uh, I, kind of, I just feel too magical. I don't know. I, what I don't like is that you can import a module and all of a sudden like code yeah. gets run because you have, they put code inside the init file. Oh, I see. Okay. So like I said, whoever said that Python's very easy. Like they forget that there's a lot of stuff that you can't control. And so yeah. you import something and then like something happens. You're like, what, what the heck did this happen? I just imported this module yeah. and then I got stuff everywhere.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's, that's the thing you get like with Django as well, right? Like you can add a middleware that does like JWT for you all of a sudden by just adding to it, to your installed apps. And all of a sudden you got JWT. It's because it's installed itself in the middleware. Everything working magically. And you're like, what? I just added
0: one line here. So yeah, if you can live with that, then you're going to like it. <laughs> Well, that's, that works nice, but like, I actually, this is an interesting thing is for one of my clients, I want to encrypt that JWT token. So I'm going to hash it. Mm -hmm. And so when they send it back to me, I want to hash the secret and then check it. But I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how to actually do that according to this JWT thing I'm using right now. So like the Python docs are super annoying. I feel like I have to read a book before I have any kind of idea what I need to do. (laughs) They're very verbose. Yeah, and that's what Flutter I I mean Flutter
1: and Darting have done a good job at documenting stuff because their documentation is like literally like a customer facing documentation. Django and Python's documentation is more like developer talking to his colleague, look what I've done. Instead of talking to lecturing, yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like putting themselves into your position trying to learn Python. It's just like, hey, this function does this cool thing. Like how do I use it? I don't know. Go figure it out. And then you have to go to Stack Overflow. And that's what, like, you you can see in Flutter. You can see in their documentation. Their documentation actually gives you examples of how to use the code. And that's just amazing. Like, it's the first time I've seen that anywhere.
0: Yeah. Actually, now that you mention it, like, what I like about Flutter is that they give you both long and short form. Like what I, what I usually want most of the time is just like, show me the methods that I have available and then give me a short one to three sentence description about what this thing actually does. And then what's the types coming in? What's the type coming out? That's yeah. all I really want to know for most of my time. And then if I really want to know more, then I want to read. And they usually have yeah. a long reading thing along, like you said, with an example that makes life much, much easier. The only yeah. thing is that's the problem now is that Flutter is just too big. You think so? Yeah, I, I mean, said. there's a lot of stuff, right? There's a lot of stuff to learn. And and that's just because stuff is just complicated. Like there's delegates you have to pick up, Um, yeah. you know, like, if, yeah, sure. This thing takes a widget, but then like, that doesn't mean it takes necessarily any widget. I mean, material apps also a widget. If you put a material app inside a material app, what actually happens, I don't know. Yeah. I'm sure problems. So <laughs> maybe I mean, no one's no one's tried it, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but it, I'm sure somebody's tried it. I don't see why not. Yeah. Maybe actually. Yeah. It is very dynamic. It is uh
1: I mean it's easy, but it's also easy to mess up, I would say. Um And there are so many widgets, so. But I'm still amazed by it that like even like a gesture detector is like a widget. It was like a mind shift for me because like wrap your image in a gesture detector. I was like, what? Because normally in other languages, gesture detector is like a property of that widget, but here it was just no. You wrap
0: it in a gesture detector. What? So it's really cool. It's yeah, menu. this composition thing is definitely something that's quite unique. Yeah. Um, But yeah, actually, so I mean, we've been talking about everything, but actually the the main topic, right? Let's kind of get back (laughs) to the main topic for the last 10 minutes or so (laughs) of this conversation. (laughs) Sure. All right. You made a floated course. Like I just started looking at today. I didn't have time before. I, I apologize. But it is 36 hours of content. 36 plus, right? Yeah, about. Yeah. It's actually, isn't it 35
1: and a half or something? Maybe it's 36. Maybe you're right, actually. Damn.
0: It's quite a lot. For sure, it's 30-something. Like, I thought I saw 36-plus on the on tech. Yeah. Definitely 35, 36. Yeah. Where do you have the time? <laughs> you have kids, you got to work, you got family.
1: Yeah. How do you I find mean, the
0: time? I think
1: uh, because the thing is, I a lot of people think I'm joking, but I actually like to, like, wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I go to bed at 8 o'clock at night at 4 o'clock in the morning. So, between 4 o'clock and, like, 9 o'clock, when I have to actually, like, officially start my work. I do like a lot of these things as well, so it gives me a lot of time before the kids wake up to focus on stuff that I like. Because when I'm awake and the kids are awake, I want to be with them as well. So I don't want to half-ass it. Kind of sorry for saying that word. (laughs) So I just kind of want to make sure that yeah, I can like when I'm doing my work with Flutter and Dart and all this stuff, I can focus on it only, and when the kids wake up, I can be with them. So
0: it's basically spending time in the mornings to uh, do these things. I mean, speaking of somebody who likes to wake up at five thirty in the morning, also. So, oh, really, that's great. Yeah, um, that, so. When do you sleep? Depends. Uh Last night was about one thirty or two, <laughs> but usually what? I try How to get to bed by up? between ten to ten to eleven. Wow, so you don't get eight hours of sleep. I mean, it. it I think that it's more about the quality of sleep rather than the right. quantity. But okay. you know, to each their own. But some people need it, like you know, my 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 spouse needs like twelve hours of sleep or something. She always oh, really? sleeping all okay. the time. For me it's like I can just but also like today I went home and I took a nap for like an hour and a half. So oh, Okay, sure. So <laughs> work, worked, for it worked it for that me.
1: That's like <laughs>
0: <laughs> So yeah, as long as you make up for it. Yeah. Yeah. But and then also some days like I just crash at like eight or nine. Like those those are the sure. best days when you sleep early. But, right. Yeah, I think usually ten, ten, eleven PM and then I wake up at like five thirty. Okay, that's that's manageable actually. But yeah, now, because we have restrictions yeah. over here, so the gym's closed, and also I cannot really go to the gym with this thing. Oh, so um Yeah, so I just wake up later, like 8, 7.30, right. something like that. Get to the office by 9.30, something like that.
1: But well, that's still good. 5.30, that's pretty nice, man. Making all at that time is also good. A lot of people are struggling just with wake up 6.00, I'd say.
0: Yeah, we have people in the chat saying they definitely need eight hours, please. <laughs> Really, yeah, eight hours for me as well. Yeah, that's why I sleep at eight and wake
1: up at four. I can't like I, I do it every day. I don't miss a day. Like eight and then four, eight and four.
0: I think that's the same schedule that um that what's his name does too. Mark Wahlberg, I think he's like eight. Go to sleep at eight and then like wake up at uh yeah four or something, which yeah, is ridiculous. It's good, actually, yeah, it's really cool, man. To me, like there's still <laughs> stuff going on at eight eight o'clock. How did you sleep so early? <laughs> yeah. That's like the family brain. dinners I and mean, stuff can, like you can't <laughs> i mean if you can live with the thing is uh, the
1: reason i decided to do that this schedule is that after about six or seven o'clock even if i like have woken up at 10 o'clock in the morning after about seven o'clock at night i'm i'm not me anymore i'm just like a potato going around sitting on the sofa watching tv eating eating junk chips and stuff so i don't want to have that uh, i was just like no why would i want that life like I could s- instead wake up in the morning and do something else. So, because I, I was just, I didn't feel so good being awake so late. Because I was just, yeah, just like a potato. So, but for a lot of people, night is when they're actually most productive and they feel best at night. So, I think it's a complete like a preference when people want to go to bed and when they want to wake up.
0: The weird part is I could do both. It's really weird. Really? I can that be up and up and stuff awesome, out. Actually. But if, you know, I can't do both in the same same day, right? <laughs> but no. no, like I, I <laughs> could sure. be up at night doing stuff, but then I I could be, you know, I could wake up early and just kind of sit down and just crank stuff out. So just basically, that that's an advantage I would say. If you can, yeah, but I think earlier is, is better. Just so. because people are not around, yeah. it's kind of relatively yeah, quiet. But I also live right up. I live right above a butcher shop, so four thirty in the morning, you just hear chop, 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 chop all the time. Really? Yeah.
1: Oh no, man! Maybe that's actually good. That's a good way for you to wake up. <laughs>
0: that's your alarm clock. <laughs> th- to th- say, th- yeah, chop, chop, chop. <laughs> for me, I don't mind. Like, there's always people shouting all at all hours of the night over here. I don't know what the story is. <laughs> people always shouting. Oh no! <laughs> all right, but you, 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 like, what kind of started you? Like, why you decide to create this course? Like, to me, like, I think that there's so much beginner content out there that I just feel like a little bit of a waste to to create this this type of course? Like, why did you think that this is a course that you should uh, create? Well, I mean, uh, I looked
1: at the, like, I've also, I do a lot of courses myself. Like I go through a lot of courses because I'm interested in so many different subjects. So I have paid for a premium uh, membership on LinkedIn and LinkedIn bought Lynda.com and they have a huge library of technical courses. So, but what I've seen in almost every course that I've taken is that every course just shows you the right way of doing things. They don't show you the wrong way. Now, software development for me is 10% doing the right thing and 90% doing the wrong thing. Because that's what we do. Software developers don't always have the answers. So when I've when I watch like a course online, during watching the course, I feel really confident. But right after the course ends, I don't know anything. It's just because the course taught me just the 10% the right way of doing something. So I wanted to create a course that I, I, didn't, I didn't like um, filter out and remove my mistakes. I've left quite a lot of mistakes in my videos because I want to show people not the right thing, but how to become a software developer. How, how do we think when we get a bug, when something doesn't compile, what do we do? So I wanted to create a course that is for beginners. And I, there are a lot of courses for beginners, but I, I just want to be different in that I go from the absolute beginning and make mistakes and teach people how to make mistakes and fix them all the way through to releasing the app. So, and I know like a lot of people say, Oh, maybe we can have advanced topics as well. But you know, you, you also know, like if you're an advanced developer, it's so much easier just to Google because you know, because you know what you're after. So for me, a video course that is only for advanced users, I can totally imagine people just skipping through all the content move the mouse here move the mouse there i'm done with this video you know but um i felt like a video course is more suitable for people who are beginners that they want to literally see you making mistakes and going through stuff and learn from your mistakes as well so um but there are people also saying that advanced courses would be good so maybe in the future
0: yeah the i think what you said leaving the mistakes in there is good because it gives people an idea about like what is it really like to be a developer because people just I have a feeling that a lot of people just think that we just kind of sit down and just crank out A plus code yeah, that's crazy, all the time, that which is, is just not true. Yeah. yeah, that is so weird. Somebody mentioned the boring show in the chat, and I think it is kind of boring, yeah. but at the same time, like, they make a lot of mistakes. Like, yeah. I'm I shouting at the screen, like, what, you idiots, you don't see that. This is not going to compile. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's good, actually, to see Somebody mistakes, made a, so. a comment that uh, you, have a, you have a good point that mistakes are a key way to learn. Yeah, I mean, I I heard somewhere that children learn
1: by acknowledging what they did right. And adults learn by acknowledging what they did wrong. It's like when you're a kid, you have to keep telling the kids. Like if you have kids, you have to say, oh, wow, that was great. You've done a good job. Instead of focusing on that wasn't good. Don't do that again, because they are going to do that again. But when you become an adult, it's a shift in the mind. I don't know what happens. Maybe someone who's good at this kind of stuff can explain, but... I, I learn by making mistakes. I can write this right piece of code 10,000 times, but I don't know why I'm writing it. I only know why I'm writing it if I know that if I've learned, like by making a mistake, that oh, I can't write the other way. So I have to write this way.
0: You know what I mean? So um, there's something in there. I wonder if it's related to this self esteem, right? I mean, if you're always. You know, when they always tell kids that you should always, they always tell you that you should be encouraging the kids, right? Like, oh, don't put yeah. them down if they do something wrong. You just always praise everything that they do. This is just what I hear. Yeah. I don't have kids, so I don't really know. That's but true. I think when you get older, yeah, you, you got to do, I mean, you can't just do stuff and do it wrong and then your boss comes up to you, oh, good job. You, you know, you messed up, right? No, no. <laughs> you got to find out what you did wrong, right? You yeah. drop a table, you're going to be in trouble, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, I watch a lot of like Django videos and they were just telling me, yeah, go create this table like model with this and this and do this foreign key. And I was like, okay, but why? Like, why are you doing it this way? There are thousands of other ways of doing it. And then you have to practice. That's why I always feel like when I watch a like a YouTube course or something, it's just like, if the course is one hour, I have to practice a hundred hours just to get to that level. And that's why this course is so long because I didn't skip, those parts of mistakes, we, I could have compressed this course into like five hours. I just was like, do this, do this, do this. I didn't want to do that. I want to be like a. It's it's a it's a journey to become a software developer, to Flutter developer. You can't learn it in one hour. So I wanted to be
0: complete. I wanted to be like a journey uh, that we take together. But do you actually kind of set expectations for people because even 35 hours, this is not enough, right? You're not it's going not enough. to be able to. Yeah, you have to no. be able to get it all done in that time.
1: No, that's the thing. You have to practice a lot of practice. So, that is so true, man. I don't think you can escape that, anyways. So, you have to practice on your own.
0: That's why I hope that you can set the expectation because a lot of people set the wrong expectation. That, oh, take this boot camp, and then at the end, you're going to get a job. Mm, I mean, really. I didn't.
1: No, I don't think so. I mean, it depends really what kind of job. Yeah, maybe you want to become a junior, or something, like a Flutter engineer, somewhere that like a senior can teach you more. Of course. Yeah. But I don't think like telling people that, yeah, you're going to get a job at the end of this is a good tone. And that's why I didn't say that. So I will just say, yeah, you you go from an absolute beginner to being able to release your apps basically on App Store and Play Store.
0: And that's like what I teach you in this course. I think you need another 60 hours or so just to deal with Apple. Oh, man. Don't get me started.
1: It's so horrible. Yeah, I think we can have another chat about that, just like
0: iOS development and rant about that. So uh, I have a software consultant company, company out here. So if anybody's looking for consultancy in Elixir, Rust, or uh, Flutter, definitely reach out to me. We have a, we have spots right now. But I just did a training for a pretty big MNC. And um, one of the things I wanted to put down as a module, as a one-hole module by itself, which is just deploying to... So well, I want to call it, like, you know, deploying to the stores, but ninety percent of it is just going to be Apple. And like, okay, be aware of this, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, yeah. and that. Yeah, it's the tough one. That one, it's ridiculous. It's really like, true. All yeah. this stuff.
1: Yeah, man. I, I mean, I tell people that uh, being an iOS developer, Android developers, like fifty percent of the journey, the other fifty percent is to how to deploy your apps. It's a completely different skill. It's kind of like, it's also a soft skill because if you if your app gets rejected, you have to now talk to a human sitting somewhere in the world complaining about your app not working. And now all of a sudden you have to resolve that issue with that human. It just feels so weird, like as a software developer to have to like go and talk to some random stranger who's trying to use your app before they accept it in the app store. It's, it's, yeah, it's, as a backend developer, you never have that problem. You just deploy it. That's it. It works.
0: So definitely. The like, I just remember I I had some, the guy complained to me. I didn't do anything. I just resubmitted again, and the next guy who graded it will let it go through. Like, it's just, there's no consistency. No, you know, because it's just humans. Yeah, it's humans. That's so weird, man. And And also, another, another tip for anybody who's doing Flutter, just to let you know, it's been my experience recently that basically every single time that they grade your app they check your app they're doing it on a small ipad so just be aware of that the main reason i found out is because like i had a my one of my clients is using uh apple health and apple health is not available on ipad so they um, the first time i found out like he opened up his phone and it just exploded (laughs) (laughs) because they you can't read health data from ipad
1: oh that's so interesting okay so it crashed on an ipad
0: And also, you're gonna get like weird, like rendering errors. And then, like every time I get that, then they complain to me, and then they send me a screenshot of an iPad. I'm like, okay, so Uh, basically, every single reviewer is using a small iPad. It's so interesting. Wow, but
1: I just find that so strange—the whole concept of like reviewers that you have no information about. They don't even tell you what devices they're gonna test your app on. It's just a complete silo
0: you send like well, something theoretically in the you and, should you should work on all of them right i mean that's what the whole entire point of this whole thing is yeah the thing is sometimes as, as you said you have
1: to like your app has to have base so for instance you can develop an application for ios that is dependent on telephone telephone functionality so you say my app only runs on a device that has telephone functionality and then you put that in your inf- info p list and that's and that application is only constrained to devices that have telephony so yeah although the screens may work on an ipad but you can actually constrain it so that is a that is something to then be aware of that okay does my app actually need specific hardware or functionalities that you may have to go manually constrain your release to those devices and i feel like flutter has become so It's taken like the code to such an abstract level that it's so easy to declare your UI that it kind of like takes away the focus on the actual underlying stuff. But still, I feel like you need to know some Android and iOS development or web and desktop now to really be able to fix these
0: issues that might arise, as you say. Yeah, I mean, just in general, like I think you have to have you have to be somewhat familiar with every single platform that you're going to deploy to. Yeah. You can't be scared of it, right? Because you're going to have to, like, uh, you know, go in there and edit stuff for whatever reason, import something, add a Cocoa pod. The biggest one is, like, you know, you try to launch your app with a new dependency, but it says, oh, this one you have to have iOS 10 or higher, but default is iOS 8 for your device. You have to edit the pod file in order to change this problem. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, and basically, uh, it, if you don't if you don't have a Mac and you're doing Flutter apps, I think it's really impossible because, like... You can't edit stuff so easily like ios is huge nearly a lot of people have ios and so how can you you can't you can't really deploy the app and if you can you still have to be able to edit the files to add in certain things it's great yeah, i mean i've done i've done this with
1: i have a linux machine right here uh, i i run ubuntu and fedora and i kind of like have to ssh into i have a, a, a my code on a git repository on github and I then SSH into my Mac and run Xcode build to just make my builds and send it to Apple. So you kind of need to, it's so strange how Apple's created their ecosystem. Almost no other company is as bad I would say, as <laughs> Apple is to be honest But that's my opinion, at least as an iOS developer. I just got to tell you something.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, this is, this is true. Right. You have that, that kind of issue. Um, yeah, they kind of silo you in, but I mean, yeah, like you said, this is their own thing. And guess what? iOS for that reason actually helps us sell more Macs. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I love, I love work.
1: I mean, my main computer is a Macintosh, but I still like, yeah, I don't, I don't support the vision, you know, this closeness of ecosystem. And I designed this course also on, on a Macintosh. And now like people are, taking this course around the world and they're on a Windows machine and they're like, dude, I can't even install Firebase CLI. Why? Okay, yeah, it doesn't work so well on a Windows machine. Like, Damn. So now I have like this community on Discord and everyone is helping each other and most people are on a Windows machine. So I'm actually kind of like humbled by seeing all these that, you know, you and I are sitting here talking about like higher level stuff and people are still not able even to install Firestore or Firebase CLI. It's just so humbling to see that that damn yeah, this is a lot of people struggling at like the basic levels just because they don't have the right machine, the right machine with the codes. You know what I mean? So it's um it's a struggle. <laughs> it's it's not cool the way it's been developed. I would say from Apple's side.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Like, but to be honest, like developing anything, it's not .net on windows is not usually straightforward for some reason i don't know i guess it's because it's not posix compliant or whatever i don't know i just feel so much more complicated because right. like all like every, like you work with python right like you have to run everything with yeah. a with with the shell you know even for running database upgrades all that kind of stuff is all shell based yeah definitely you, you're Absolutely. going to be deploying to a linux box most likely and the closest thing you have that's mainstream is a mac um, yeah. It's funny, funny that you also mentioned about like everybody uses Windows. I think majority, yes, but also depends on where you are. Like in Africa, there's a ton of people just using Linux because they just can't afford like a license for Windows or they just right. don't happen to have it. I mean, it, like this like, that's like, just a rollback. us just not even saying about affording that, but like let's just say affording a computer. Like what about Raspberry Pis, right? Those things are so cheap, 35, 40 bucks. And those things are going to be running Linux on them anyways. And that's so true. Yeah.
1: I mean, one of my favorite machines is I have a little Raspberry Pi right here I
0: don't
1: know if I can show you but um, I can't actually it's I think it's a, it's called Raspberry Pi 1000 or something I don't know it's, it's got the keyboard like the whole machine is inside this keyboard it's one of my favorite absolute favorite machines if I if I one day go into an interview like someone's actually interviewing for a job I'm going to take this with me <laughs> because you can do pretty much everything on it except for iOS button so it's such a small little machine and it doesn't cost so much and you, you have everything. Oh, I, I can do Django development on this. I can do Android development on It's so cool. And that's like, I appreciate that as a software developer.
0: Yeah, what about the compilation time now? It's got to be a little bit slow now. But that's the
1: thing. You see, if you're using Python, it's not so much compilation. If you're using JavaScript, there's not so much compilation. And that's why, like one of the negatives of Rust, I love Rust, but one of the negatives is that it's a compiled language. So then you, so you then, you see what I mean? Your wealth then defines how good you are going to be at something just because you need a better machine to be able to compile something faster. So you didn't get pissed off. So I don't know, man. It just feels, it just doesn't feel right <laughs> that you have to be able to buy like a stronger machine just so that you don't get pissed off at compile times. You know what I mean? And if you're a web developer, you just write your code and just refresh the web page and great works. Nice. If you're an iOS developer, yeah, just recompile the whole
0: thing takes like a minute <laughs> so, so strange yeah but that's when you have a minute to drink your coffee take a take a quick nap you know sword fight <laughs> exactly yeah yeah i don't know it's a, sorry that i'm
1: ranting as well but yeah it's some thoughts in my head just
0: yeah i mean but i mean it depends right but at the same time it's like okay you if you there's no free lunch right if you give up something, you're giving up something, right? So let's just say you run your interpreted language; it's still not going to run that fast, right? No. Which maybe bothers you, maybe doesn't. But during yeah. development time, maybe they also like maybe the runtime is so slow that you wish it was compiled, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. That that depends on your situation. Exactly. Yeah. Like for one one thing, like I, I added Rust to a project. Right? I was using uh, Elixir to process like 300 XML files to generate Mm -hmm. PHP code, which is interesting (laughs) using one programming language Mm -hmm. to generate code in another language. It's what? Yeah. Well, I don't (laughs) want to get into PHP, right? I mean, I have my limits. (laughs) I'll write Python, but like PHP is, mm, I'll try not to. Um, But, but I mean, okay. Anyways, like, so, but it took me like four to six gigabytes of Ram plus, um, plus, um, Another ten minutes of processing time. Oh, I see. And then I went then I switched over those pieces to Rust and still kept most of it in Elixir, but still kept like the processing parts of XML in Rust. And I mm-hmm. went from like thirty megs, like you know, from like really four to six gigabytes of RAM down to thirty megs. And then um, process time was like ten that's, seconds. It's crazy. That's crazy.
1: That is amazing actually,
0: yeah. Really cool. Really cool. Uh, but yeah, maybe we can start to kind of wrap up. I mean, like your course is pretty cool, right? So basically, if people come in brand new to, to programming, you think it could be good for them or they need to come in with like some kind of prerequisite, like some simple like Python or something like that?
1: But to be honest with you, I actually designed like um, I designed this course and I had some personas in my head and there were like two personas, one guy who's a project manager and one guy and one girl who is a, a graphic designer. So I designed this course for these two personas. And of course, like other people also, I had in my head, like somewhere, if you're a software developer from before. So I was, sometimes when it came to difficult explanations, I was first explaining for someone who's never heard this before. And I was also trying to blend in sometimes some more complicated stuff for those who knew how to develop software. But I really tried to explain things pretty much from the beginning. So that's why also the course is a bit longer than what you'd expect because I literally went from the beginning. Like I didn't expect you to know what a terminal is. So I even explained what a terminal is and how you open it, blah, blah. So, uh, so I would say, no, you don't have to have any programming background to take the course.
0: Okay. That's, that's pretty good. Like, but that's really difficult to to do. Like even if you explain what terminal is, like you can't, it's, I think the, the hardest part about terminal is just getting used to it. Like I remember my first time using terminal, I had to type in a password, and I was like typing, and I like got my boss. I'm like, dude, I'm typing, but there's no feedback. But it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing now, like yeah, it's funny now, but at the time, and like when you're brand new, it's like I've been yeah. I've been coding because I've been learning CS or sorry, computer science, and I've been um you know I-, I learned HTML, CSS when I was still in high school, like so like, and and I've used forms on computer and. When you type in a password you get little little dots, right? But this is nothing. Yeah. Like what's going on?
1: Yeah, it's uh it's a whole new mindset. Yeah, definitely, for sure. So, um but I try to like introduce these things one step at a time as well. Like I s- introduced it in Git and GitHub like in I think chapter 10 or something. So, I didn't want to scare people in the beginning that yeah, we have to set up Git, but I thought as to become a good software developer, you have to also know what Git and GitHub are. Kind of maybe not so much GitHub. A git at least. So at the end of every chapter I try to teach people how to commit their work and how to check the diff and how to tag it and how to push the tags and push the commits because I just want to get in the flow of making them a software developer, kind of. But it's a it's a journey, definitely. And what you said before is so right. It's not this is not the end of it. Like you can't just take this course and like I'm done. It's just
0: a beginning of the whole journey. Kind of reminds me of when I see this, see this question all the time on Facebook, like, how long do I need to learn Flutter till I can be, uh, till I can get a job? It's like, man, there's yeah. so many quite, there's so many factors involved. And not to mention, yeah. like, I couldn't tell you at any point in my software development career where I was like, okay, this very second, like, now I'm ready. Like, you're never right. ready. No, you're, even you're now, like, better. I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. But <laughs> it, well, that's like having a kid. You, you're never ready for it.
1: You just have to take the step and then you'll see if you're ready. So uh, there's no definite point for sure.
0: Okay. So, I mean, do you have like a Bitly link or something that we can kind of share to people if they want to check out your course or should I just try to link to like the, the course, like the, the playlist? I have a little link tree I can write in the chat. Um, let's see if I can write it here. Yeah, somebody's asking if there's an AdMob integration uh, part in the course. Sorry, uh, sorry, I didn't hear that. If if there's like a you know Google Ads, Google AdMob, if they can actually if they if you cover that in the course, how to actually integrate no, that? No, I haven't covered that yet. No, I've
1: mainly covered uh, Firebase in this uh, course, um, but I didn't know even know if people were interested in having Google Ads. I know now there's like native support for it. So if people are interested, I can I can add a chapter, make the course a little bit longer. <laughs> that's what we need. Uh, I think if that's the case, you're never going to stop, right? And that's the thing. Like I really want to keep, I don't want to have many flutter courses. A lot of people focus on having tons of different courses. I just want to have this one, but my goal is to keep it updated and support people throughout. That's the only thing I want. So I think I'm just going to keep this one course, but make sure it's always updated. So, or at least as much as I can.
0: Cool. So if people want to kind of get in touch with you or kind of keep up with what's going on with you, how should they best do that?
1: Um, yeah, I would say. Twitter, LinkedIn, I'm um, available there. Now we have a little Discord channel for this um course as well, which I've uh, put in the YouTube playlist. So I put the Discord group there. And uh I'm so I mean I I'm sitting here and see, literally seeing people in the Discord group helping each other take this course. It's I'm so touched by it. Like I can literally see like a lady asking, "Oh, I can't install this." And other people are helping that person. So I'm just so humbled to see like people are interested in taking the course and literally
0: going through it. So, um, but yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, Discord. Great. And the the Discord, uh, do you have a link for that too?
1: Yeah, I can post it here. I'll um, see. I have a link to it here. So I'll post it in the chat. There's the Discord group for um, the course. So if
0: people have any questions or yeah doubts, they can just post it there. Awesome. Uh, I went ahead and also shared into the uh, live feed, live view. I mean, there's a lot of people kind of sure. there. So cool. Is there anything else you wanted to say before we sign off? I'm just so thankful to
1: be able to be on the, on the show. And thank you so much also for your time and, uh, and basically spreading the word about the course. So I'm really thankful and good to, good to talk to you. It's a nice chat.
0: Yeah. Whenever I see something interesting, I try to share with people, right? Because, uh, you know, sharing is caring, right? That's true. Yeah. So really, uh I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. Maybe i have to try to finish up the course. I just got <laughs> to the first the first intro one, uh nearly at the end. I did skip through some of really? it. <laughs> I skipped sure. through a good I chunk mean, of it because it's a lot. It's it's like an it's hour a lot, Yeah, the first one. Yeah, I'm sorry, thirty one minutes. It's pretty yeah. long though.
1: And some people are like helping actually segment it. So like they put in timestamps, so that's
0: cool someone wants to help as well <laughs> that's a nice oh, that's I nice because that's not fun to do i do that all the time no yeah that's that's difficult yeah all right thanks again for coming
1: by um thank you so much Alan. much appreciate thank you for your time